ready for our final comic segment of the episode, we're going to be taking a look at two or actually two and a half issues of uh, Marvel's biweekly little hodgepodge book. Uh, it's an anthology book called Marvel Comics Presents. Uh, usually it features at least one X-Men related story. Uh, it's usually Wolverine. You'll, you'll usually see the Marvel Comics Presents with Wolverine's name right underneath it, just so you pick it up off the rack. Uh, this time we've got uh, a nice little uh, assortment of X-related characters here. Uh, we are going to be talking about Wolverine, we're going to be talking about Beast, and we're also going to be talking about Firestar. Uh, there are a couple of uh, just general Marvel characters in here we will be touching on. I, I believe it's Speedball and uh, Paladin. So we'll be uh, touching on those. But uh, the main crux of why we're here is for these uh, these X-Men side appearances, because they are occurring uh, concurrently with what we're discussing on this program. Now, instead of doing like the... The deep dive on every single Wolverine guest appearance, because frankly, this show was long enough as it is, and we don't want to go much further than this. Uh, we figure that the Wolverine catch-all will be uh, Marvel Comics Presents. And of course, if there are any huge appearances or crossovers or something like that, we will mention them and maybe go deep on them. But as a working as a working measure here, we're going to be just really focusing on Marvel Comics Presents. And, uh, of course, just like with all the other segments, I am not alone. I have brought with me my good pal Walt Neeland from Comics Reviews by Walt. He will be helping us, or he will actually be leading this tour through uh, this odd anthology. How you doing, Walt? Not bad. Yourself? Oh, you know, hanging in there, hanging in there. Now, uh, I've been asking all of the, uh, all of the co-hosts here... Uh, to share a little bit about your origin with the X-Men, uh, whether or not you were reading them at this time, if you came back and discovered them uh, at a later date, uh, how long you were with them, if you left, if you came back, why you left, why you came back, all that kind of stuff. So uh, how about you hit us with a little bit of your X-Men secret origin? Okay. Well, I think my earliest memory of the X-Men is the Pride of the X-Men cartoon special. Okay. I remember that theme song had no hmm. idea at the time who these characters were, but it was a bouncy, catchy theme song. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years later, my one buddy got me to read a couple of comics, and it turned out there was this cartoon coming out. So we watched that, and he loaned me an issue of X-Men, and I remember him wanting to quiz me on who these characters were. So, like, okay. one of the characters was Storm, and I think someone else was Bishop, and this one guy had claws called Wolverine. <laughs> and... At the time, I had no idea who they were, but then with the cartoon, got into them and ended up getting issue 300 of Uncanny okay. and kind of followed it from there. Very cool, very um, cool. And, of course, I have I still have them somewhere. I've got those Pizza Hut videos that had oh, the yes. first set. And they came with a little trading card yeah. and, yeah. Yeah, I think they might have had a little poster or something with them, too. I think you're right. Yeah, had a little comic that came with it, the video, mm-hmm. and the video had interviews with several of the current creators at the time. Oh, yeah. And I just remember the much later, when I graduated from grad school, someone gave me one of the Pizza Hut cardboard cutout displays. Oh, so very that cool. I'll just send you sometime. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, now, now, uh, so you came into uh, the X family at 300 as a collector. Uh, so that's about what 19 months after the books we're discussing now, or at least 19, 19 issues. I don't know how how we were doing with uh, slipshod, double month, double ships, all that kind of stuff here at this point. But uh, so that stands to reason that 
initially, right off the shelves, you probably didn't purchase X-Men number one or X-Force number one as they were hitting the shelves, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, when did you go back for those? I don't remember for sure. It was not long after, but I wound up getting in through American Entertainment or Entertainment This Month. Oh, those guys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, with that, I know with X-Men number one, I've always been aware of all the covers, as far as I recall, and I don't remember what the first one was that I had, but I think it might have been the maybe the Wolverine and Cyclops one mm-hmm. or the Magneto one. Those stand gotcha. out the most. But I definitely got the collector's edition pretty early on. Okay. And that's always been my favorite of having oh, all four images. Absolutely. Other. Absolutely. Now how about uh, X Force number one? Did you did you run rush back for that one right away? No, I don't actually remember when I got a hold of number one, just somewhere along the way. Do you happen but to remember which I, card? Not offhand. <laughs> I know I probably wanted the cable card because, of course, yeah. he was the the cool one with the big guns and all the pouches and all that good stuff. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. what would uh, what would you say was uh like your your first uh your first issue of the adjective list X Men? I'm pretty sure that was the date issue with Gambit and Rogue. I think number 24. Oh, right before Fatal Attraction. Yeah. And it was definitely Fatal Attractions that got me into the X books. Okay. Even though I mainly stuck with Uncanny, but I did get all the crossover ones except for Excalibur because of the holograms. And those were the coolest ones ever. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I got some of the other trading card holograms that were just sort of colorful, but these ones being so deep, I love the Havoc one especially. Just It looked like you were looking through a portal into some scene. Absolutely. Yeah, they were very uh they were very yeah, in depth and like sort of three dimensional and they had a lot of uh like you said, they have a lot of depth to them. It was uh really cool here. Now how how long did you uh like when you picked up with the X Men, have you been doing the have you been buying X Men ever since or did you leave? Uh, were there was there a time was there a reason why you might have left if you did? It's been a little bit of a mix. Like mm-hmm. from three hundred and fatal attractions Stuck mainly with Uncanny, and I think okay. I dipped in Wolverine a little bit, but then when we got to right before Age of Apocalypse with Legion Quest, okay. I decided to go all in, and, and with American Entertainment, I was able to order their, I guess we call them bundle packs now, to get mm. the whole series. Okay. So, had all the issues for that, and then when we came out of it, it was like, I just spent four months getting all the issues, I'm going to keep that up, and that lasted a few months, and then I was back down. <laughs> Only a few of the titles. Okay. And I've kind of stepped away and come back periodically over the years, but I think the mid to late 90s there were probably the the peak time for me. Okay. And are there any, like, particular uh, stories that you can recall that might have really, uh, you know, drawn your attention or maybe caused you to give the X-Men a second look if you weren't already looking at them at that point? Offhand, probably the Death of Colossus kind of, I think that okay. got me back in it because... That was a good series of issues, and, and actually, come to think of it, the uh, astonishing X-Men with the when the team broke up in '99, right before the oh, before the shattering, the, yeah, yeah, okay. the shattering, and of course the the Skrulls secretly posing as Earth-based <laughs> heroes and invading in secret, but that was '99, not 2008. <laughs> Everything old is new again. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> No. Um, what about today? Uh, are you reading the X books today? Not really. 
Okay. I dove in the House of X, Powers of X, gotcha. and followed that. And I'm not a great fan of the infographic style with those. I wanted right. to like them, but it kind of put me off. But I have been getting the Dawn of X collections, figuring okay. that'll give me a chance to dive into eventually six months of all the titles. Sure. But, of course, with the, the present hiatus from Diamond and everything, who knows when I'll get five and six. Absolutely, yeah. There things are things are kind of up in the air right now, so it's a uh, it is a uh, strange and unprecedented times that we're living in. So yeah, this is a uh, very very strange. Um, now, uh, was uh before the House of X, Powers of X? Uh, when was the last time you'd read uh, the X titles? Uh, was this was that a return to the X Men for you, or or was that just the next thing in the X line that you were continuing to read? It was a hopeful return. <laughs> yeah, I'd fallen off over the years when they did X-Men Blue, X-Men Gold, and whatnot. Yes, yes. I think I tried the first issues and then decided that I wasn't paying that much for those issues. And I had some other issue at the time, but ended up just let them go. And I think I was tired of the, the young X-Men. The time-displaced ones, yes, absolutely. That's, uh, that actually is when I finally... Uh, walked away myself um I, I have since gone back and filled things in but uh it was during the uh, the blue and gold era that uh that these characters became even though they all kind of looked the way they always had i just i couldn't recognize them uh, they were just totally different characters to me um I, I wasn't a big fan of the creative teams on them either uh just from past things of theirs that i've read so it was a it was a difficult decision to finally commit to walking away but uh and of course, it wasn't a permanent one, but uh, I felt good while it was there. I felt good while I was able to. <laughs> After all the nights yeah. of uh, missed sleep over it, I, I felt good to actually be able to pull the trigger. And here I am, you know, you know three years later, back right into it. Um, now, the books we're going to be covering, the main books we're going to be covering today is uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 86 and 87. Both of those have... The October cover date, the October 1991 cover date that we are covering this entire episode. However, uh, the Wolverine story that we're going to be reading here is a part two. And we figure why not just go back and cover the Wolverine from Marvel Comics Presents number 85 since that is a part one. Um, now, I I didn't realize that that I didn't own Marvel Comics Presents number 85. So I'm going to be relying on you to fill everybody in on exactly what went down there and how we got into this cyber story. So uh, if you want to kick off uh, the Wolverine story or, or just introduce us to uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 85. Okay. Well, 85 was the first issue off of the Weapon X story. Mm-hmm. So that's where I dove in. And this doesn't really touch on that so much, but it just picks up with where you just close in on Wolverine. He's out hunting seeing how close he can get to a wolf without being noticed and he's not trying to kill it just how close can i get to this wolf and then he ends up hacking off some meat from a kill that they both find together so he can feed it because it's an old wolf mm-hmm. and then he goes and looks over madripoor and spends a little bit of time with tiger tiger <laughs> tiger tiger yep Eaches. Mm-hmm. and apparently they they hook up and sure. I forgot about him being such a ladies' man back in the day. Absolutely. I don't know why. That was kind of a big thing with him at the time, was that the ladies loved him. Mm-hmm. And then while he's with her, we get introduced to this character, Cyber, mm-hmm. and just huge hulking guy, huge grin, 
mm-hmm. and looking to make a deal with General Coy. And I know more about the character from after this than at the time because we didn't know much about him from this sure. story. But this was actually his first appearance. Mm-hmm. And from what I, I do remember back in the 90s, he was supposedly the only guy that Wolverine was truly afraid of. And yeah. given the drag out fights he's had with Sabretooth, that's saying something. Absolutely. But it, some of these characters introduced him. It's like, well, let's make them even scarier than this guy. And so you get Cyber, Adamantium mm-hmm. skin, and big guy. He left Wolverine for dead. Absolutely. And neither do the other still alive. Yeah, and Cyber was uh, one of those characters that I, I thought was just going to be a very big-time presence uh, going forward. Uh, I think it might have been – I mean, and I'll probably mention this a few times uh, this episode, that uh, so much of my early uh, Marvel fandom is informed by the trading cards. And uh, Cyber had a trading card, and, okay. uh, and so he automatically became important to me. Um, didn't quite work out that way uh, for Cyber. I, I, I think, and I might be speaking out of turn here, but I think his last few appearances were basically like they treated him kind of like a parody. I, I want to mm-hmm. say, um, where he was just kind of a gag, you know, LOL '90s character. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think there was uh, definitely potential here. I mean, you said adamantium skin uh you know do adamantium do adamantium claws cut adamantium skin it's it's a really tough um it's a tough foe for wolverine who when uh you know when wolverine's battles can become i mean almost boring because he's just so strong he's so impenetrable he's so uh unbeatable and uh here we have cyber exactly exactly um you know, I, I think about Cyber, I think about the Shivas, what we'll be talking about them next month, and also like Shinobi Shaw. All these characters I thought were just going to be like the characters, and uh, no, no, it didn't, didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you get back trading, into it. Well, uh, like you said with the trading cards, where you get a trading card, so this character must be important because they got Absolutely. a trading card. And mm. at the time, we didn't have the internet and everything, so the trading cards were a big thing to go off of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and we also like, have uh, we also have the uh, Firestar story in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one picked up on her apparently dealing with Freedom Force with Mystique and Blob and Pyro, and I just lost my place in my notes on <laughs> the story. But basically, she's caught up in stuff where there's this organ harvesting organization, and her dad's been sick and. She doesn't realize what's actually going on, and she's gotten in kind of deep and has to help them capture Mystique, and she doesn't realize that they plan to do some really bad stuff to Mystique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As is the case with the series, such short segments, so that yeah. pretty much sums up the entire segment for the for Firestar. It's true. It's true. Yeah, these are, uh, these are what, about eight pages apiece, probably? Um uh, maybe even less. No, I think I think they're eight pages. But yeah, you don't um, you don't get a whole lot of room to play when it's a, when it's an eight pager, especially you know back before we were writing you know the uh, decompressed style where we could just you know sum things up mm. with a text page because we do get a text page at the beginning of these these issues here. It's the inside front cover where it does give mm. you a little bit of the exposition of what came before. But in most of these stories, they still do that first page repeat thing, you know, where 
they do catch you up in the first page of the story as well. So now you're left with seven pages of story. And yeah. it's uh, and another thing with Marvel Comics Presents is that it was usually, uh, and you know, this is me speaking generally, it was usually sort of like a tryout book for newer talent. There's there's going to be some established names we're going to see in here, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of this is names that you you wouldn't see very often. These are new ca- new creators who would go on to do things or maybe wouldn't. And so uh, it's kind of weird that they're putting new creators on these, you know, sometimes second and third tier characters, but also training them in a way to write eight page stories when their ultimate goal is writing, you know, the 20 to 22 page Marvel story. So it seems almost counterproductive, but I guess you got to put them somewhere to see if they're, you know, worth pursuing. And so that's yeah. uh, and get, that's what we got. Yeah. And we get these characters that maybe don't have room to have a full subplot in one of the main titles or some of them maybe just aren't being used. So maybe a creator wants to try out one of these characters and Mm -hmm. I don't know how they actually did it, but as far as motivation, so maybe a creator trying something out or Marvel was like, Oh, here, if you can tell us a full story with this many pages, then we'll give you a shot at something bigger and better. Yeah. You're in line here. Yeah. Now, I think this Firestar story, from the ending that we'll get to in a little bit, I think this comes, I think this is supposed to be a little bit in the past, like before she joins the New Warriors, maybe. Um, Okay. Because I think at the end, it like makes a little comment about like, whoever you wind up with, Warriors or whatever. And I think that was kind of placing it back. So it is, I'm always a fan of like building onto the lore of a character, even if it's a character I really couldn't care less about. Um, But it's, uh, you know, it is interesting that they would put something like that here. Um, like you said, though, there isn't a whole lot of room to groove. So it's uh, they basically set the table and then say, see you in two weeks. <laughs> and that's what we got here. Um, we yeah. also have a beast story here with uh, with an artist you have heard of, with an artist that yep. we actually talked about a great deal a few segments back. Who is that man? Yep. Rob Liefeld. Mm-hmm. Rob yeah. Liefeld doing, uh, doing a beast story here in Marvel Comics Presents, which is... Uh, kind of weird kind of weird for me i i I figure he's uh probably a little bit higher up on the uh on the totem pole at this point but uh i don't know maybe he just really wanted to draw a beast or maybe he was doing someone a favor i i don't know i all i know is that had i bought this back in like back in 1991 this you know issue of marvel comics presents would have been like five or six bucks uh Mm -hmm. thankfully it's not anymore but uh (laughs) you want to you want to get us into the uh the beast story here yeah, it looks like I actually didn't take notes on the story itself since we weren't going to fully cover this issue. Yeah, this but is just a little bit, yeah. Basically, Hank just finds out that Xavier had wiped the mind of one of his old high school friends, mm-hmm. and she had been very important to him, but in order to protect the secret of the X-Men, she couldn't be allowed to remember who Hank was, that he was a mutant and all that. And so he kind of gets kind of melancholy thinking about what's been lost with that, like, here he remembers her and has these great memories, but she's got no idea of who he is. Mm-hmm. And of course, for me, with this was I remember Xavier being quite so liberal with wiping minds <laughs> and doing all that kind of stuff. I've known it more so with him doing that like the last ten or twenty years with the stories, but yeah, <laughs> I never really noticed it much back in the nineties. Yeah, the nineties are the pre pre onslaught, of course. We're talking. Um, yeah. Professor X was always. He wasn't really depicted as being sinister uh, in such a way. Uh, I know during the like the original 66 before the hiatus, 
Um, Professor X would not think twice about wiping the minds of an entire street full of people just so they could forget they saw the X-Men. That was just, you know, that, but that was Silver Age. It was different. Here, where we're mm-hmm. actually telling like a more personal and cerebral type of story, to have him, to have it revealed that he did that to someone that was close to one of his students, that does seem weird. That that does seem like a, a very sadly ahead of its time uh, in in the way Xavier Xavier is usually viewed now, where I don't think you look at Professor X and instantly trust him. You know, I think nowadays it's always a uh, you're always second guessing his motives and uh, you know just what he's trying to get out of what he's doing. Back in the early 90s, it didn't really seem that way, at least not to me. But I was, you know, I was just a dumb kid at the time. So uh, what do I know? Uh, <laughs> now, more, it's, uh, it's more here and, and yet here's he's trying to control Hank or just mm-hmm. doing stuff without Hank saying, yes, do this for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very uh, is very weird. Um, now, our, our, you know, odd you know, non-X character in this issue is a uh, Speedball. Uh, how, do you, how do you like Speedball? I'm pretty sure this is the first Speedball exposure I've really <laughs> had, or at least the first solo story with him. Sure, sure. But, yeah, I've got a note here that it reminds me a lot of a Serial Box comic, and it's <laughs> about the same length as one of the comics you get from Serial Box. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, unfortunately for this issue, he's my least favorite of the stories because the characters i actually knew and i've read other stuff with them so sure he's kind of a throwaway but but still it's a chance to get exposed to the character and be like okay i've read something that had speedball in it <laughs> there you go <laughs> that that sets the table for you know our our double main event here um now going into uh into marvel comics presents number 86 it's another four stories now, the first one, of course, features Wolverine. The story is called Blood Hungry Part 2 of 8, and it's uh, the title is Two Cents, and it's not like pennies, but like the smell, you know. Uh, it's written by Peter David, with art by Sam Keith, lettered by Clem Robbins, with colors by Glynis Oliver. And uh, how about you take us on in? Okay. Well, am I looking at the right issue? Yeah. So we've got Wolverine climbing a wall, literally. Apparently he was bored, but using the claws and just punching the wall to climb. And he's checking in on what's going on with General Coy and Cyber and and playing the tough guys. Mm-hmm. And then Wolverine flashes back to some time of Tiger Tiger, where she convinced him to take on this task. And he gets startled by a cat once he's inside. And <laughs> Wolverine shushing a cat is not something I expected to see. No. But, <laughs> and then... Cyber kind of catches on pretty quick that there's someone else in here with us, and rather than step through the door, he just out at Wolverine and and Wolverine ends up being a hasty retreat. Which, how often do we see that? Not often and at all. As Wolverine's heading out, someone comes up behind Cyber and asks him, "Why is there blood on the floor?" And he's just doing that sort of badass character. Someone bled. Yep. <laughs> yeah, very, very tough guy uh, stuff from uh, from our man Cyber here. It's uh, it's it's interesting and and it's Sam Keith art, which I, I didn't realize how much I liked. I, I like this a lot. Um, 
and it's funny when I'm looking at Wolverine, the first thing I can notice is just how much body hair he has in a Sam Keith comic. It's uh, it's like you'd be afraid to walk next to him because uh, you know you you think you get like a, a static shock from him or something. But uh, yeah, Wolverine throws himself out the window and uh, and Cyber gives the uh the story closing line of someone bled and uh, from here we pick up with uh with our gal Firestar. And uh, this story is called Life During Wartime, Part 5 of 8, True Colors. It's written by Marie Javins and Marcus McLaurin. Pencils, Dwayne Turner, inked by Chris Ivey. Letters by Dave Schaub and colored by Marcus McLaurin. So uh, our writer is also a colorist. And so we pick up with uh, with Mystique, you know, strapped to the table here. She's, uh, they're going to do some bad things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And good to see the rest of Freedom Force recovering, and turns out Mystique had a, a tracker in her belt or something, and so they're able to track her down. And while Firestar is dealing with what was the group called? The uh, Arms of Salvation. Yeah. So she's trying to survive their attack because she's decided not to join them, and it's the old Star Wars thing: join us or die. Mm-hmm. And so, so they're attacking her and. She's almost done in when Freedom Force busts in, and they end up saving her life, even though they didn't mean to. Yeah. And in all the chaos, she finds her way into the lab and finds out the they're harvesting organs. It's just someone orders an organ, and we'll go kidnap someone, kill them, take the organ, and we've saved your family member, but it's cost you however much, but we don't tell you how we got it. Exactly. And probably people. Probably people don't ask questions much, but Firestar is horrified and pretty much in there. The what is I just forgot his name again, but the guy from the group busts in and mm-hmm. he's like destroyed a year-long operation and I'm not going down without a fight. Yep. And we in there. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, what do you think about the art in this story here? We, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Sam Keith up in the Wolverine story here. Uh, this one, uh, Dwayne Turner, a name that we would know uh, much later on, or, or not much later on, but later on uh, throughout the 90s. Uh, Dwayne Turner did make a name for himself. What do you think of his art here in this uh, in this 1991 anthology? Uh, it's not bad. It's kind of jerkish, but it gets things across, and it didn't really stand out to me all that much. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just there. It's kind of just there. Yeah. yeah. And I'll probably be repetitive on that as we go along with the series. The, it's true. I suspect a lot of art is going to be kind of generic in a sense where it's not by a favorite artist, so it doesn't stand out that way, but it mm-hmm. doesn't make it bad. Just It's like, well, either I've not heard of the person or I don't recognize it, but sometimes that can be some of the best art is true. it gets the job done and it doesn't attract you either way. And so you just read the story and you don't think about the fact that you've been taking in the art as you read it. That's true. That's true. Now, our third story, we're back to Beast. This uh, this story is called Just Friends, part two of eight. Um, so, I mean, so far they're all like eight parters. So that's four months you're going to be following these stories here in uh, in real time with these uh, this biweekly book here or twice monthly book. Um, now, this one was written by a, a fellow who we're going to become very, very familiar with as we go forward, Scott Lobdell. Uh, pencils by Rob Liefeld and Jay Lee. Inked by Tim Dazon. Dazon? One of those. Lettered by yeah, Todd Klein. Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, and colored by Mike Thomas. Now, we're uh, we're picking up on Beast, uh, 
I think he's uh he's at his uh, prom or something here. Yeah, it's kind of a flashback with him at that time, and he looks like he's out on overlooking the city or something or the countryside, and pretty girl from his high school walks up to him and essentially asks him to do the junior prom, and he thinks she's joking because, of course, let's have the pretty girl ask the big beast guy yep. to the prom, <laughs> and he's been tutoring her, and she says that she had a chance to see the real him, and so she's not joking. She actually does want to go with him. Yep. And, of course, they go to the prom, and the ex isn't happy, and it's kind of like the typical teen movie drama. True. Very true. And then we come to find out that this flashback, Hank's actually on a plane talking to the guy sitting next to him, who, it turns out, doesn't even speak English. Nope. <laughs> so he's pouring his heart out, and the guy's just like, okay. Yep. <laughs> and then we get a little bit more of a flashback and see throughout the rest of junior and senior years, he winds up on the football team and Jennifer, the girl gets him onto the team, gets him into the quarterback position, even though the ex doesn't really like that and gave him a chance and wound up with Hank being the star. But then they go off to college and some miscommunication leads to them just kind of losing contact. Mm-hmm. And then back in the present on this flight, they get to their destination and get off the plane, and there's some supervillain, Constrictor, waiting for them. Yep. And he's got really bad timing, because this is not a good time to be messing with Beast. No, certainly not. But then it's to be continued. Absolutely. Now, uh, you know, the uh, the elephant in the room here is uh, Rob Liefeld Art. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, we, we, you know, we, we have fun with Rob uh, every now and again. I think a lot of us do. I think uh, this is... This is like some really good Liefeld art. Um, mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, it's like it's like maybe he didn't have maybe he didn't have so many cups of coffee that morning. You know where the art isn't wildly frenetic. This is. Uh, uh, you know you wouldn't even realize it was him unless you looked at the credits. And maybe yeah, I mean there are some Liefeldian conceits here. Of course there is a uh, you know gritted teeth and uh, you know with, uh, the the things you do notice. But I got to say, this is uh, inoffensive. Um, it's weird when you go from Liefeld to, to Jay Lee, and the Jay Lee panels are the one you're like, ugh, this isn't that great. Um, yeah. I, I really uh, really dug this until until it became a comic book story again, and we had to meet the constrictor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, I'm much more interested in just Beast and mm-hmm. more personal side. His experience in high school, because the 90s cartoon had him make a comment at one point, Everyone's talking about their past, and he commented, "Well, I had dandruff, but I don't <laughs> think that would that wouldn't really apply to the comics since he no. didn't come blue and furry until much later." Sure, sure. <laughs> now, our final story here is uh, our you know Marvel du jour character. This is Paladin, and uh, mm-hmm. the story is called I think what is it? Uh, Take me out to the bomb game, which should tell you exactly what we're in for. This one's written by Eric Fine. Penciled by J. Adam Walters, inks by Sam De La Rosa, uh, lead is Diana Albas, and uh, colors by Fernando Mendez. So a lot of names I uh, I'm not familiar with. So the uh, maybe the very definition of the tryout book uh, sort of formula for Marvel Comics presents here. Uh, what do you, what do you think about uh, about good old Paladin? Uh, I basically just know him as an action figure I saw last <laughs> year or the year before. And he was billed as Marvel's Paladin. 
or yeah. Paladin, however it's pronounced. <laughs> and so it was kind of interesting to actually see a story with him and had no idea about him, but apparently sure. he's essentially a hero for hire yeah. type figure where he makes his living doing stuff. He's got some kind of armor and I mean, he seems human. I don't think he's got any powers. I don't know. And I, it's my my paladin uh, my paladin experience is also uh, very limited. I think the first time I ever met him, I think he was a guest star in an issue of Generation X, and uh, okay. that might have been, of course, late '90s ish. Um, and he didn't really leave an impression on me. And uh, gotta say, after this story, I, I I'm still about the. Uh, <laughs> Going the same speed with uh, with Mr. Paladin. <laughs> How about you? Uh, walk us through this one here. This is a fairly generic story here. Um, it's yeah, just just the just the the main beats, I guess, on this one. Yeah, basically, he's working security at a baseball stadium. There's been a bomb threat, and rather than pay money to further beef up security or do anything like say, shut the stadium down and put it on hold and has passed. The owner's like, no, stuff has to go on. So they brought him in to augment the security crew and he winds up, they notice a suspicious figure and of course the suspicious figure is indeed one of the culprits and so he takes them on and then winds up find a peanut vendor that's the main guy behind it, takes him out and ultimately we find out that the the head of security as a revenge move orchestrated the whole thing because mm-hmm. he was going to be laid off at the end of the season. And so they disarmed the bomb and take care of stuff. And that's pretty much that that's bad it. guy caught and nothing like it's not really continued from anything. It doesn't continue into anything. Nope. It's just this short little one off that it could almost be an episode of law and order or some other <laughs> random crime show. Maybe not it's law and true. order, but, <laughs> maybe you never know but yeah this is uh yeah. one thing about marvel comics presents that uh that we haven't uh, mentioned yet is uh these don't have any ads uh they're uh you know they're just story all four you know four stories here uh there's not even an ad on the back cover they the back cover just shows some of the characters that are going to be featured it's uh it's pretty interesting here it is a dollar 25 book rather than the standard you know what we've been reviewing today uh one dollar so this is a quarter more expensive so maybe you know, maybe the loss of ads mitigated the uh, or necessitated the need for an extra quarter on the cover price twice a month. Um, uh, inside covers, the stuff like to catch the you up. Table of contents, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that is uh, Marvel Comics Presents number 86. Uh, but that wasn't the only one that came out this month. We have 87 as well. Our first story, of course, Wolverine. Now, this is Blood Hungry, part three of eight, three cents. Uh, again, not like pennies, but like the smell. Um, written by Peter David, art Sam Keith, da- uh, letter David Sharp, colors Glynis Oliver. And when we left, Wolverine ran away. So uh, what do we got here? Uh, we've got him still running away. And <laughs> not not really just uh, let me get back and get some space. I mean, Wolverine booked it the heck away from there and mm-hmm. climbed a cliff and kept on going and basically just find a place to be able to curl up and die without having cyber sneak up and stomp on him again. Mm-hmm. And we get from there, we get what could be a flashback, but pretty quickly <laughs> realize not a flashback because Wolverine in a high school setting, basically your, your stereotypical greaser, I guess. He's fine. Uh, 
hadn't even thought about that. But yeah. <laughs> and, about the same height, too. Good point. And like what we mentioned earlier about him being a ladies' man, mm-hmm. he kind of shows that off here. He snaps his fingers, and three girls rush over to him, and they're basically all over him, mm-hmm. even completing each other's sentence. Kind of like Huey and Louie, except <laughs> that would be a whole different situation. This is true. This is true. And we'll get a little bit of play on the idea of Cyber being sort of bigger and badder, where he's Wolverine's supposed to be the cool guy, and now someone else is kind of encroaching on that. Mm-hmm. And as we shift away from that, we see Tiger Tiger, and Cyber's gotten into her place, and he's made a deal with General Coy for drugs and whatnot, but since she's in town, she can have a chance at a counteroffer. And she's just kind of looking at him. Don't know what she's going to do, but he just calmly remarks, nice tea, because she's giving him tea. and mm-hmm. Not much of a cliffhanger. No, no. We're getting like this uh, this real, you know, strong silent type from uh, from Cyber here. Uh, it's funny. Um, which which was the uh, Keith image book? Was that Pitt or the Max? The Max, right? Because there's a girl yeah. here who's, uh, when Wolverine's playing Fonzie here, there's a girl who looks just like uh, the character in the Max. I don't remember her name, but uh, looks almost just like her, down to the, like, the leopard you know, top and everything. It's uh, it's kind of interesting to see that here. Um, this, yeah. Uh, yeah, th- this story is, uh, you know, I think this story might have been a lot better as a single issue of Wolverine, or maybe like a two-parter, if like they just put four chapters together, because... I think piecing it out like this really isn't doing it very many favors because um, it's it's that whole law of anthologies here. You start to get into it and it's over. And uh, and these aren't ending, as you mentioned, they're not ending necessarily on cliffhangers. They're ending on just a line, uh, which, yeah, I don't know. It, the end uh, of a page. Yeah, it's like, okay, this is page eight, so stop now. Instead of like, you know, someone's hanging, you know, dangling from a building or, or something like that, or someone's about to be unmasked, it's just, okay, well, it's page eight, so we stopped for now. And uh, I think that might have hurt the uh, the flow and the, uh, like, the sense of urgency here, because there really doesn't feel like there's a whole heck of a lot. Um, hey, you have any final thoughts on uh, on the Cyber Wolverine uh Part two or part three, I guess. Not really at the moment, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just there. <laughs> yeah, and he's there. We don't really get a fight or anything. We get we had Wolverine show off his coolness. His yes, his in, and insane turned out coolness. That was just, yeah, just a hallucination, and it could have been crazier. And I'd almost read a whole issue of Wolverine's hallucination with that. I mean, for sure, Wolverine, <laughs> but not the more modern. Let's put all our characters into high school de-aged. I mean, this yeah. is Wolverine de-aged, but in a high school type scene. For sure, for sure. Got a kick out of that. <laughs> now, our next story, uh, we're back to Firestar here, and this is actually going to conclude her arc. This is Life During Wartime, part six of six. It's called Sacrifice. Written by Marcus McLaren and Marie Javins, just like last time. Pencils, Dwayne Turner, just like last time. Inks, Chris Ivey. Led is Diana Albas and David Sharp, and colored again by Marcus McLaren. So, uh, how did this one wrap up here? Well, we have kind of a dual story going on. We're at the very top of the page. We get a, what do you call it, the EKG monitor yes. with some dialogue as her father's come out of surgery 
survived the surgery, but he's not out of the woods. And so he ends up, I think he codes, and so they have to resuscitate him. Mm-hmm. So that's going on while we see Firestar fighting this guy that is actually prepared for her powers. He's got coolant in his suit, and he can counter her heat powers. And he takes out Spiral, and Spiral's been gunning for Firestar. They have no love lost. No. And while she would have left Firestar to die, Firestar wouldn't do the same, and she doubled back to make sure that Spiral didn't get killed and winds up having to take this guy head on. And since she can't use her heat powers to take him on, or she can use them, but they won't do any good, she opens a canister of coolant and sprays him down with it and does him in. Looks like he's frozen solid. Mm -hmm. And she winds up, as that wraps up, she works out how to deal with Mystique, and Freedom Force goes their way, and she firestars reported as dead, and this allows her to kind of go off the grid and be with her father, who thankfully did survive. And so everyone thinks that Firestar is dead, but she's alive and <laughs> her father's alive. And that's kind of where they leave it. Yeah. And Mystique wasn't real happy with Destiny for not giving details, but she realizes that, no, Firestar wasn't fated to join Freedom Force. Mm-hmm. She's going to be part of some other group. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, the, the final caption here is, Whatever group is in your future, Firestar, I hope they're good warriors. You're going to need them. So, uh, yeah, this uh, this comes before uh, the new warrior stint. I don't I don't know a heck of a lot about Firestar, you know, to be completely honest. And uh, so I don't know if this has ever been referenced ever again. Like the fact that she was presumed dead, um, I, I couldn't tell you if this was just a blip or uh, or if this is actually like a huge part of her backstory. Um, Suppose I could have done the research, but uh, I didn't. So um, until we were talking, I didn't even make the connection with the new warriors. I think I was yep. vaguely aware that she had been part of them, but I hadn't even thought about that. So it might be something to, for me to check out sometime when I yeah, can. Could is be. Read all the issues of that and see if they even mention this. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird because uh, I think both of us, uh, like our our main. Um, experience with Firestar is part of uh, Avengers Volume 3, the uh, Busick Perez run, uh, where she and uh, mm-hmm. Justice, uh, also from the New Warriors, kind of like graduated into uh, into the Avengers team. Um, that's really the only extended run that I read as it was coming out with Firestar in it. Uh, in the, you know, 20... Oh, God, how long was it ago? That was like 25 years ago almost? Really? Um, in the interim, I've... Uh, I've read a lot of the New Warriors. Um, none of it really stuck with me, so uh, I couldn't tell you if this was a uh, if this was you know a big huge part of her backstory. So, but uh, that does wrap up Firestar. Um, but we can get into Beast now. Now this one is called uh, Just Friends Part Three of Eight. Story is called If This Is Tuesday, It Must Be Belgium. That sounds like a Scott Lobdell title, and uh, hey, guess what it is? Uh, Scott Lobdell wrote this one. Uh, Pencils, no Rob Liefeld this time. This is just Jay Lee. Inks by Tom Dizon. Letters, Todd Klein. Colors, Mike Thomas. So uh, Hank just met the constrictor. How how does this go? Uh, It doesn't go over very well, but we do get (laughs) a few pages of them kind of doing the, what was the term, like run, run, fight, fight kind of thing. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) <laughs> they're, just, they're just all over this hotel fighting and trading quips and smart Alex at each other while they fight. 
And I think Constrictor even notes the he's like, hey, it's actually kind of fun fighting you because you have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And Beast isn't terribly thrilled about that. <laughs> but while they're fighting, he sees someone that he thinks could be the Red Ghost, but he's not really sure how it could be. But then he's distracted again by a Constrictor and ultimately winds up with tricking Constrictor into smashing an aquarium, which shorts out his adamantium coils. Mm-hmm. is using to constrict and that takes him out which leaves Beast free to finally go to the symposium that he's in Belgium for and he reunites with Jennifer and she's happy to see him as a scientist but no memory of him and before they can really talk the I'm not sure if they're called are they the red apes or red ghosts? Oh, the the communist mo- the comp- was the communist monkeys or the communist apes or something the ones that hung out with the red ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time yeah. since I read those old Fantastic Fours, so I don't know exactly what they're called. But uh, yeah, they're yeah. goofy characters. Yeah, and they burst in and it looks like they zap Hank with something and they make off with Jennifer and he's left laying there realizing she's being kidnapped and he's got to help her and so it actually is. A decent cliffhanger mm-hmm. on this one. The, it's like, oh, the girl's been grabbed, and what's going to happen to her? Absolutely. This was a uh, this was actually uh, one that makes you uh, at least a little bit interested in, in picking up where we uh, where we leave off. You know, uh, this is uh, something that uh, will there's this purpose for the next issue is what I'm trying to say here. But uh, now our last story is uh, another weird Marvel. Uh, you know, not X character, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Shroud. Now, the story is called To Touch the Darkness, and uh, this is written by Eric Fine, just like the last story was last time. Uh, pencils, Ron Wilson. Inks, Harry Candelario. Letters, Diana Albers. And colors by Kevin Tinsley. Uh, what, what's your favorite Shroud story? This. Probably this one, huh? Yeah. I, yeah <laughs> now you can ask me how many stories have I read The Shroud. <laughs> That's true. That's true here. So that would also be this one this one absolutely absolutely um now uh in our notes here uh <laughs> you uh you asked if this was the same character that like bendis used uh back during uh, like the dark rain era or i'm assuming or right by before yeah. the dark rain era yeah that was the hood but i totally see how that would be confused with this one uh now the hood first appeared in a max miniseries the you know the mature readers line from marvel uh, written by brian k vaughan but uh, Bendis, as he is wont to do, uh, co-opted the character and uh, tried to make him like the main bad guy in Marvel's Underworld. Uh, really made the Avengers feel like they were fighting, you know, great great value villains at that point. You know, they weren't fighting Kang or Doom; they were fighting the Hood, which I guess is kind of what Bendis wanted from his run. But uh, I don't know; didn't feel right for me. But uh, uh, how, how about uh, you uh, walk us through uh, this meeting with uh, with our man, the Shroud? Well, we start out with the Shroud standing in a hospital room over an old woman who's hooked up to different machines and obviously dying. And he's thinking to himself that this shouldn't have happened. And then I guess we get some flashback to a crime spree that's been targeting senior citizens. And the Shroud, as I pick up from context, he's supposed to be some crime lord, but he's actually a good guy posing Mm -hmm. as a crime lord so that he can try to affect change from within but these criminals have stepped over the line with hurting senior citizens and so he ends up having to fight them and ultimately takes them out and kind of back and forth between that and 
him talking to the woman and just kind of being there for her because mm-hmm. she's got no one else and he saw some of himself in that because he can't have any real connections sure. in order to in his role. And so he takes out the bad guys and returns to the hospital room where the sun's coming up and it hurts the woman's eyes. And so he uses his shroud power of, I guess, shadow. Shroudiness, yeah. And, and <laughs> um, walks out the sun so that it's not hurting her eyes and she's afforded a, a moment of peaceful dig- dignity before she passes. It's just uh, too bad that the shroud wasn't married because you know when a, when a, when a person is about to an old person's about to die all you have to do is give your marriage to Mephisto and uh, they'll be fine. So uh, he, if he was married, you know we, we see here he has his role to to serve here. He can't have personal connections. If only he were married, could have given Mephisto, Mephisto his marriage, saved this poor old woman, and everything would have been hunky dory after that. Yeah. Instead, we get more fights. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think about uh, about as much fun as we're having with the shroud here? I kind of think that this book is like the repository for this kind of thing here, um, where it is just kind of off the beaten path. You know, I, I I've talked about Action Comics Weekly more than probably anybody else on the planet at this point, and uh, it's always enjoyable when you know you have like a four parter with the hero hotline. You know, because those aren't characters you're going to see very often. Or Speedy gets a little spot, or they bring in the human target for an for an issue. I like that kind of thing, and and as you know, as kind of lackluster and uh, sort of just you know uh, you know white bread as this story is here, very boilerplate superheroics. Um, it's weird that we do have this character who is a crime lord posing as a hero, and they didn't try to make more of this in the 90s. It feels kind of like tailor-made for a, you know, sort of like hard-edged anti-hero sort of character around this time. You know, they were bringing back like the fool killer and, and uh, you know, a Nomad became a thing, and he was this, you know, grungy-looking anti-hero. It's weird that the Shroud never actually got a real shot in that kind of a spot because uh, – I'm not saying whether or not it would have had legs, but you never know. I mean, it could have been something that could have supported a four-issue mini, and for all I know, he had one. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's sure a, either. Yeah, it, it, it was what it was, and uh, what it was was a uh, story that was put on paper, and uh, we looked at it, and we read it, and we talked about it. So that's about that's about that. And uh, yep. this was the, uh, the two uh, Marvel Comics Presents offerings for cover date October 1991. Do you have any final thoughts on, uh, on these, uh, boy, a lot of stories and a uh, and, uh, couple issues? I think just the, it was interesting to be diving in and getting these little snippets of story, and especially like with Paladin and mm-hmm. I'm always mispronouncing that, Paladin <laughs> and Shroud. It's like just these one-offs, but now I've read them and Yep. Even that speedball story in the issue 85. Mm-hmm. So three one-offs that I've now been exposed to them. So if I read something else with them, now there I know. And Absolutely. Half the it is. It is half the battle indeed. Um, any thoughts on the anthology format and the fact that, I mean, we're going into the 90s here and Marvel Comics Presents is a tenured title. I mean, it's at the 87th issue at this point. It's going to go, I mean, we're barely at the halfway point, or maybe a little bit past the halfway point of Marvel Comics Presents' run. So this is going to last for quite a while. Yeah, I think I saw 175 issues. Oh, boy, so yeah. 
Yeah, so we're we're not even no. you know we're not even scratching the surface of this series yet, and uh, and the idea that Marvel was still selling an anthology book during the Speculator era, I think it's going to be yeah. interesting as we go through this here to just just see who is featured on these books here, who is the hot character because you got to figure that this book when they you know when Wolverine isn't front and center, and, and that's not saying that he won't be for a long time because he's going to be here for a very long time. It'll be interesting to see who the, who Marvel sees as the next big character who either can't carry it in their own series or already has a series but maybe can't carry two, but they still want to tell stories and sell books. So I think this is going to be an interesting sort of like mid-level barometer for exactly what the Marvel market is. Um, I mean, the hottest Shore character. Stories. Sure, sure. So I think like toward the end, like, like U.S. Agent is like the top character, which – Really strikes me as strange because I don't think anybody's ever cared about U.S. Agent. Um, I can't think of a single time I did, uh, except when I was looking for his uh, his trading card. It's about the only time. But uh, <laughs> Marvel Comics Presents is a very very interesting um, little piece of uh, of Marvel Comics lore. As we've been saying, we don't know how much of this is in continuity, was ever in continuity, will ever be referred to again, will ever get like a little editorial note because. Outside of the Weapon X story, I'm not sure anything did. Um, but yeah, that's a, those are my final thoughts on Marvel Comics Presents as a thing. Um, but before I let you go, uh, how about you uh, give some plugs? Where can the uh, the good folks find you? Uh, mainly just on comic reviews by walt.wordpress.com, mm-hmm. where I, I started out doing reviews of new comics like back in 2008, but mm-hmm. kind of bounced around and... I've settled more so into revisiting the 90s and sometimes the 80s and 70s and mm-hmm. occasionally early 2000s, but just kind of writing up single issues and my thoughts on the issues. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, his uh, his links will be in the show notes and also on the website. Uh, definitely check this uh, blog out here, Comics Reviews by Walt. Um, one of the inspirations for Chris's on Infinite Earths. Uh, no joke. Uh, I, I was following Walt's stuff way before he knew that I even existed on this planet. So uh, And he was a part of getting me going into actually putting words on digital paper so uh he's to thank or or to blame uh, whatever whatever the case may be but uh i thank him and i thank him for joining me here on uh, claremont to claremont and uh, look forward to many more visits as we work our way through thank you so much walt yep ditto thank you as well no place to hide no place to run no place to run the mutant age, the mutant age has now begun